Welcome to This is the Bad Place, a podcast about the NBC TV show The Good Place and the journey of two ex-evangelicals leaving white evangelicalism. Welcome to This is the Bad Place podcast, uh, where we talk about The Good Place. I am so excited about this episode today. It is called What's My Motivation? And I think, you know, thinking about motivations is a huge ethical question. Is it? I think so. You said you had lots to talk about. I have so much to talk about that I'm going to have to give you some options at certain points (laughs) while we discuss this episode. It's going to be like a choose your own adventure podcast, but just for me. Yeah, we're reporting to you live from... The literal bad place. <laughs> United is, States of America. <laughs> you've been doing such a good job of like, you know, not mulling over these things all the time. I'm 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 tiptoeing backwards from the edge of the existential abyss. Right, exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. And then it comes to this podcast and you're like, here's the place for Ooh, it. I get to let out that abyss. <laughs> right. I really do. Yes. In a fun way. Right. <laughs> We, I, I just want to jump right in with the Mark Evan Jackson summary because it ties to something that we mentioned oh, at the yes. very end of our last episode. Yes, so yes, yes. I'm going to go ahead and play it. I'm Mark Evan Jackson. I play Sean. Today we're talking about Chapter 11, What's My Motivation? Directed by Lynn Shelton and including guest cast Tia Surkar, Eugene Cordero, Rebecca Delgado-Smith, Amy Akuda, Susan Park, Ruman Kazi, Will McLaughlin, Josh Siegel, Jen Statsky, and introducing... Mark Evan Jackson. (laughs) Yes, Mark Evan Jackson as Sean shows up in this episode. Yes. Now, if you need a reminder (laughs) about what we said last time, I have it right here. You ready? Oh, okay. And we still have Sean. Sean's coming, y'all. Yes. I think Sean probably comes next episode. I hope so. But who knows? I bet Sean, here's my guess. Sean will show up in the last scene of the next episode. Okay. If you're right, then I will... Stop talking about you crying at Lake Seacon to people. Okay? Okay. So. Well. I believe it was the last scene. Well, I don't believe that. <laughs> I could tell by your face. That's why I had to come out, come out strong to say. Right. Listeners, weigh in. Um, Sean the Demon does appear near the end of the episode. But technically, we see his face before the credits start rolling. And if an episode is 22 minutes long, what constitutes the last scene? Is it the last minute? Because Sean shows up with two minutes to spare. I think it's the last scene because it is the scene. There's no, like, they're there at the train station. Sean is there. What happens after that? Eleanor. We should have bet something much more interesting because I don't have it within me to fight for this. Hey, newsflash, everyone. Crispin is a masculine man who never cries. And <laughs> well, that's was... why you should listen to this podcast. So <laughs> I was going to say that the fact that I'm replaying it from last time means that I'm just reminding everyone about the time that I cried at Legacy Coffee no, Shop. No, that never happened. <laughs> and that's what makes you... A really good person. Oh, hey, I tried it back into the theme of this podcast. Right, yeah, I don't even know why we... were both right. We were both wrong. And you should probably still buy me a bagel. I think listeners should weigh in. 
Yeah. Yes. I think someone who, I feel like someone who's an expert well, you, in in TV shows or, or something. Was I've, it the last scene or was it not? Yeah. I feel like if you ask someone that is in the biz, in the show business, they would say, yeah, that is the same scene. Right. But I'm saying the stakes were silly. So I don't care. That's true. And I'll, I'll buy you a bagel anytime Sometimes you want. Sometimes we have way better bets going. Mm-hmm. But they're not safe for the whole family, as Caleb would say. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? Yes. So I don't care about this one. You'll buy me a bagel if I ask every damn time. That's true. Even if your eyes are filled with tears at that moment, you'll still buy me a bagel. Especially. You know what I if they're woke filled up with tears. thinking about today? Hmm. Because The Good Place makes us think about our evangelical trauma mm-hmm. and talking about soulmates recently mm-hmm. on this podcast. Which we're going to talk about later. We're going to talk about soulmates more today. Part of me was like, I married you. You're the only, you're the only person I've ever dated. I, I should be like a victim of the Christian patriarchy mm-hmm. when the reality is... Have I gained the entire system? Because you are the ultimate sugar daddy, and you allow me to live this wildly radical life <laughs> where I just say shit on the internet. Uh-huh. And I, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Yeah. You make it sound like I make a lot of money. Well, you don't. I don't. Um, and you're also married to someone who will never let you make a lot of money for right. ethical reasons. Yes. We um, know that as well. Yes. So, but sugar daddy in that you buy me bagels sometimes mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So right. I'm just saying, yeah. I woke up thinking that today. I was like, wow, I really gave the system here. <laughs> Put the patriarchy to work for me. <laughs> Radical, like- non-binary, feminist, anti-capitalist, anti-colonialist. Mm-hmm. And I just get to be out here wilding out. Mm-hmm. Thanks to my man. Thanks to my man who never cries in coffee shops when he sees his friends. Are you practicing your Jeff Foxworthy accent? Um, Just to get we'll we'll come to that later. No, I was like more like Southern Baptist lady, but oh, I don't know mm-hmm. why. As you're mentioning this, like the whole premise of our bet is I'm going to buy you a bagel. Yeah. From our joint checking account, where <laughs> you're making it sound as though I make the money and then I dole it out to you. I'm just a little baby. Right. I don't have a credit card. It's more like this is. Let's just let's just pull the curtains back. This is more about DL being like, is it ethically okay to spend money on a bagel? It's not ethically okay, but in my Partner but, buys it for me is fine. Exactly, right? <laughs> it really has nothing to do with like. Who I hate holds... thinking about money. Money causes me an existential crisis, <laughs> right. as you well know, Christmas. Yeah, so it's not. It's totally. It's not about like the like who holds the money in this. You want me to be the holder of money <laughs> so that you don't have to make so those my ethical brain decisions. Can have a rest. Right. Well, it's ethical to spend money at our friend's coffee shop that is inclusive and all that stuff. I know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I do sometimes, most often, get the vegetarian or vegan option, but still. Because it's delicious. Yeah. I think. But we don't need to get into all this. I've already proven time and time again I'm a cheaty moon with a 
Michael Sun Rising. <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but Me I love it. Um, yeah, we got to get back to we, this episode. Right. We're I mean, off the rails. Yeah, I told are, you this is going to be an off the rails <laughs> conversation. That's why I was like, we can't, we can't start with banter because we're going to... We this. can't start with banter. We can't, like, we had to jump right into it because we're going to be meandering the whole way. My notes are chaotic. I believe you that. Uh, you may have noticed, listeners, that Mark Evan Jackson has thus far only mentioned who's in the episode because we wanted to talk about that part that Sean did show up right at the end. But we're going to now listen to the rest of his recap, which has a lot more detail than usual. In this episode, Tahani helps Eleanor try to achieve the maximum number of points before the judge, Sean, arrives. Eleanor realizes that she has a corrupt motivation of self-preservation in her good deeds, and that ultimately the only way for her to earn points is to self-sacrifice. Chidi is unable to respond to real Eleanor's declaration of love to him. Michael discovers that Gianyu is actually Jason due to his marriage to Janet. Just as Eleanor is about to turn herself into Sean, Janet offers an alternative option of the medium place, and they escape with Jason on Sean's train. In a flashback, we see how Jason died in a safe while trying to rob a restaurant with his friend Pillboy. Yeah, he covered a lot in that episode. He really did. He he went for it, and... It's like now that he's in the episode, he has more investment in talking about it. what happened. He just like was desperate to name drop Pillboy. Yes. So he had to include that, which I, mean, I was so excited mm-hmm. for this episode because the, these flashbacks with Jason and Pillboy are literally gold. Every second is uh-huh. gold. Yes, right? so true. Yes, everything they said I wrote down. I can't list it all, but right, like when they're we talking, that, right when gonna... they're talking about like the city that they live in being one of the <laughs> top. One of the top ten best swamp cities in Florida. <laughs> in Florida, yeah. <laughs> in like Southeast Florida oh, or something. So good. Yeah. So basically, this episode was just like Eleanor is trying to stay in the good place by doing good deeds after she died, so that her points go up, so that Sean, the judge, will come and judge her and say, "Yes, you actually can stay." Yeah. So we're back to the point system, mm-hmm. which is very interesting to me. Okay. Right. And so Eleanor's trying to rack up points in the afterlife mm-hmm. by doing good things yeah, and hearing from those that have been harmed by her actions in the good place as well. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. Do you remember, you know, watch rewatch. Do you remember what it was like for you when you first watched this episode? I just remember being reminded of the friends episode where they're trying to figure out like, can you do anything you know, for a truly unself with a truly unselfish motivation. There's Be- a, a friends episode about this. Uh huh. Yeah, like Phoebe. You know, Phoebe is sort of hippie and cares about justice, and they're like, basically, you just do these things so you can feel good about yourself. And so, basically, then she's like, finally, I will let a bumblebee sting me. Um, and there's no way that I feel good having that happen, but the bumblebee feels good. And then they're like, actually, a bumblebee dies after Whoa. you sting it, which wow. sort of like, you know, puts the nail in the coffin on that argument. Okay. So, anyway, that was what I remember thinking oh. about the first time we watched it. <laughs> wow. I don't think I got any of this subtext because i think that's obviously the ethical mm-hmm. question at the heart of this episode but there's I, so yeah. much else going on right i mean i think i just picked up on it because my ethical framework was 
deeply formed by the show Friends. Yes. But you know, this is an interesting look into my psyche and other people who grow up like heavily indoctrinated into some kind of high control system where Mm -hmm. there is this overarching idea that you can be good or work towards holiness or work towards perfection. So when I watched this in 2016, I'm sure I was like, what? Of course, everything I do is motivated in a good way, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's not even me. It's like God put in me this love for people and wanting to see all people be united with God who is love through Christ Jesus, his son, you know, like Uh I I, I would be so in that be like, what? Mm -hmm. I'm a Christian. My motivation is the love of God. Like that's what it is. And that's good. Like that's Mm. what you need to. So it's really interesting watching this seven years later and being like, Oh, motivation is like tricky and I actually can't spend too much time thinking about it because that causes an existential crisis. Well, okay. Not to like tell you you weren't feeling what you're feeling. Okay. But here we go. You're going to gaslight me right now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You had just released Assimilate or Go Home, which actually was doing a lot of reckoning with a white, like having a white savior complex. I think you I think you've done a lot of work since then, but I do think that you had that sense of like, yeah, if I'm just doing this to feel like a good white person, like Okay, you're actually really right. Which is funny. I try and block that out because it is such a huge and unwieldy topic Mm. to be someone who was like basically Right, heavily indoctrinated by colonizers mm-hmm. to be a colonizer, to be a good person or a godly person, and then just like slowly unpack that. It's like it's been so much slower and so much messier than I wish it was. Mm-hmm. But you're probably right. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I thought of that when I watched this episode. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. And I think something that is like that's just interesting about this is yes, it goes into evangelicalism. But I think especially if you are a person um, with privilege or from dominant culture, I think this shows up for so many people, right? Like, what is your motivation? You're trying to feel like a good person to do these, you know, things. And you kind of have to wrestle through, like, what is my actual, like, intention yeah. here? Is it to is it to feel like a good person? I think, I don't know. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of white people go through that as they are trying to, yeah. like, reckon with their own privilege and systemic racism and, and white supremacy in the U.S. Well, okay, this is interesting because... Part of what's fascinating for me about this whole question of motivation and are, you know, I think the white savior complex is really fascinating to add to this discussion. And yet, similar to like this episode of The Good Place, I I feel like all these conversations about individuals and their motivations and impact versus intent, like that's fine. But if you're having that conversation without taking into the incredibly complex factors that create these systems that we are literally born into. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like talking about Eleanor's actions impacting people in the good place without being like, well, why did all this crazy shit happen? It's Mm -hmm. not really Eleanor. Somebody's in charge. That's sort of how I feel about a lot of these. Like, Mm -hmm. is it really 
the most important thing to blame Eleanor for all this stuff. I mean, no, it turns out this is all actually just torture, right? This is right. just uh-huh. torturing Eleanor right. and keeping us distracted from the fact mm. that it's actually the bad place all along. So right. that's a little bit of where I'm coming from uh-huh. uh, when I think about this too, yeah. right? Yeah. Like we can talk about white people having white savior complexes. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important. When are we going to talk about the underpinnings of Western civilization and white Western patriarchal Christianity that churn out mm-hmm. these people. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yes. Anywho. Yeah, I was like, I gotta, I gotta reel you back. We're, we're only in the rewatch. Yeah, watch, like this is not what segment. I was even planning on talking about. <laughs> yes. No, but I think it's so true, and I think like I really appreciate you pulling that in of like rewatching it and being like, yeah, this really isn't about Eleanor. Right. It's about this whole system. I think that's really profound. I think in my rewatch, I was thinking about um, just how much in my upbringing, how self preservation was so demonized. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I'll talk more about this in the religious trauma segment, but just this idea of like, you're supposed to want to do good things just for good yes. things' sake. Yes. But also, if you don't, then there is eternal conscious torment awaiting you. Yes. Right. And but if you do it because you're just trying to escape hell, then you're not doing it for the right yes. reasons and you don't actually mean it. Yes. Which is just such a mind fuck. Sorry to be the one to bring the explicit rating to this episode. Mind fork. Mind fork. Yes. Such a mind fork. <laughs> um I mean, yeah, because that's ostensibly what this episode is about. And at by the end. Eleanor, it is literally what it is about. Yeah, like, Eleanor it, it, it needs has... to sacrifice herself nobly mm-hmm. for but, it to mean anything. Mm-hmm. But not to save herself. And I'm like, this is how you and I were raised. Right. Like, totally. I mean, Danielle, I just want DL, I just want to remind you that he is no fool who <laughs> gives up what he can lose. Cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. <laughs> I knew that you would jump yes, in. Yes, Jim Elliot. Yes. Right. He was my idol. It's which is very literally, awful and embarrassing. And right, terrible. which is literally what like we're ta- you know, the show is talking about as well. So I have we talked about this on the show? That was my senior class art project. I made this huge banner that said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot colonizer of colonizers died <laughs> but at least and then they his, at least his, his wife at least his wife went on to do such great things <sighs> for women in evangelicalism <laughs> oh my god okay so okay really back crispin can we transition into favorite things because one yes. of my favorite things uh-huh. was uh tahani um saying i'll throw a party and the party will help you. Uh, the party will keep you from being tortured by demons forever. Mm-hmm. It's my fourth most important party I've ever thrown. Okay, this is great because she says we must throw the perfect party, or else you will be tortured by demons forever. And it's so funny. <laughs> um, that was literally our life, uh-huh. at least my life. Right, I'm an autistic person who took it all literally. And that anyone who wasn't evangelical was going to hell. Mm -hmm. And so I was running around 
this city of Portland doing homework clubs, doing English classes, trying to talk about Jesus wherever I could because each situation was a matter of life and death. It was a lot of Tahani energy in that way of like showing up in these very like, I would say like female gender roles of like meeting everyone's needs, right? Like having to show up expend all that energy to make sure everyone gets taken care of. Everything's okay. But then Mm -hmm. always sort of failing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting because in this, you know, series, the characters do fail a lot at keeping Eleanor safe. Mm -hmm. And I failed like over and over and over again at converting anyone. That's what my first book was about. And it's just hard to think about those stakes. Tahani had a lot of things in this episode that are sort of my favorite things. But mm-hmm. it also sort of triggered me a little bit. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, so she mentions at some point, like, two things Eleanor could do to, like, really ramp up her points. Mm-hmm. Right. And one was sacrifice herself. Mm-hmm. Right. And the other was change the consciousness of the nation. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've literally tried to do both. <laughs> uh, yes. Like a million times. So true. It's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, that's me. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay. On a lighter note, uh, I loved when Tahani did not know of a store called Walmart. Walmart? <laughs> so good. Okay. My favorite line was probably Jason was talking about Janet and he said she makes the bass drop. In my heart. And I love that her response was, and Jason is a person near me who asked me to marry him, and there's nothing in my protocol to bar that. Okay, that hurt my feelings. (laughs) That exchange. But then... But yes. I... Okay, now I might hurt your feelings. In some ways, I feel like this... I feel like you are like Janet in some ways. Like, I slipped in the cracks. We talked about this last time. And then it's like, and you're like, and actually, I love you a lot. You certainly did. And I think one of the main reasons you did that is because you did not come on very strong. Mm-hmm. And I had a history in my numerous failed mm-hmm. interactions with men. That the second they were like, I like you, or they tried to touch me, mm-hmm. I would be like, I hate you with the fire of a thousand suns. Like, literally, that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, but you didn't do that. I felt those things, and I also was so nervous. Yeah, you were an anxious in- ball of whatever. Intimidated, nervous. Yeah. And yeah, also off in your own little world, which I appreciated. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You had a lot going on in your own head. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I did. Um, and you weren't smothering me. Mm-hmm. So that was really nice. Yeah. But later on, Janet says some really nice things to Jason. So maybe that is also indicative of our relationship. Right, exactly. So I it's feel like, like every year we're married, I am actually more open to romance. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that's what I mean. Is Janet is like... Janet's explaining this happened because of an error in the protocol. Yeah. Which, you know, again, like makes me think of you. And like after that, 
she's like, and I love you a lot. Yeah, Janet, I identify with Janet so much in this episode because uh-huh. Janet starts wilding out. Mm-hmm. And then Michael's like, we have to reboot her. And Janet's like, is it an error to do exactly what you were not programmed to do? <laughs> and Michael's like, yeah. Uh-huh. And it just it was like, oh, that's me. Uh, you uh-huh. know, my parents view me as an error at this point because I am very much wilding out from mm-hmm. how I was programmed to be from birth. Right. Speaking of parents uh-huh. and Michael, that was one of the best yes. parts. One of the best was, bits. Yes. Jason just keeps on calling. Well, Jason wants to get Michael's blessing because Michael is Janet's dad in his <laughs> mind. And then he like calls him dad because they're married and he's, you know, supposedly his father-in-law. Before we move on, I just want to make sure that we hit on Tahani's amazing name drop. Okay. Name drops. Where she talks about her friends and names the Spice Girls. Oh, who... I want to see if you can name the Spice Girls. Do it right now. <laughs> Baby, sporty, wild. No. <laughs> sexy. No. Oh, this is a peek into your psyche. <laughs> I believe, you, want me to I keep believe going? you think Ginger's the sexy one. I, I don't. I really don't like. Posh, baby, sporty, scary, and Ginger. I did not know Ginger was one. What? I'm sorry. I listened to those songs on the radio. Real talk. Which one did you think was the most attractive to you? I I seriously can't tell you. Posh. Mm. It's Victoria Beckham. Okay. Yeah. See, here's the thing. Is that I was in sixth grade, fifth and sixth grade when they were popular. I know you had a lot of hormones back then. I did. I did not have any access to seeing them, okay. what they looked like. Okay. So I heard them. I mean, I remember all the scandalous music we listened to on the bus. Yeah. That was the only time I, I you know, I listened to Spice Girls. I remember that song, like, I'm a bitch. Like, and being uh-huh. like, oh my God, like, what is happening? You know, because I only listened to like Stephen Curtis Chapman at yeah. home. But I had no way to see what they looked like. Oh. Unfortunately for me, <laughs> let me tell... Okay, if we're going to go down this rabbit hole... Okay. Okay, let me tell you about my access to attractive female musicians was in my plugged-in magazine, oh which is a focus God. on the family. Are we talking about Stacy or Rico? No, we are talking about they reviewed Foxy Brown's album. Okay. Where she's like wearing basically nothing, okay. but they had the album cover in plugged in magazine. Oh, and I remember being like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang on to this page <laughs> from plugged in magazine." Oh my god, just perfect. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. I don't know how that actually happened. I, I'm, I remember being very surprised that it that Foxy Brown got in there. Yeah, but I also was like, "Well, it's in plugged in magazine, so it's allowed." I'll just tear this little page out. <laughs> Keep it for later. Okay. Okay. We, we haven't even gotten to the second part of the joke, which is Tahani was talking about her friends, the Spice Girls, had a feud with her other friend, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Okay. Um... I don't know. We got to keep going. I know. We can't right. just talk about our favorite things anymore. No. There's... What's the ethical question? Okay. Is self-preservation an ethical thing to do or not? I think that's the question. Is it unethical? Yes. Yeah. 
Or like is No, move along. Okay, next question. <laughs> I mean, is it about self-preser like there's self-preservation, but mm-hmm. there's also feeling good about yourself and those are separate things. But I think basically the question is like if you're doing something good for someone else, but it has a positive impact on you, yeah. doesn't mean that you're actually doing a good thing or are you doing a selfish thing? Yeah, I'm having one of those moments right now where I'm like, I can't talk about these little ethical things anymore. And I have to talk about the bigger issue, Okay, which is when people who either make the rules mm-hmm. of the system or society or the people who explicitly benefit from those rules tell you you're doing it wrong to survive mm-hmm. in the concept in the context of those rules. Right. Does that make sense? What I'm yes. saying? Mm-hmm. That's the bigger picture. And we just all need to practice getting better at identifying that. Because I love liberals. Not really. I love leftists. I love anarchists. I love people who are getting, developing the skills to be like, wow, this is not really all that was promised to me. Mm-hmm. And it harms other people. And I'd like to learn how to not harm as many, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. But but in those groups, people can get so fixated on some of these other issues when it's like, we have to go to the top. Mm-hmm. And we have to like... Go to the ones who are making the rules, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of us are just trying to survive in these contexts. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, totally. And I've just sort of lost the will to intensely judge people who are trying to survive this hellscape. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do any of that. I'm Mm -hmm. just saying there's this bigger picture at place in which, to my mind, means we need to talk about economics Mm -hmm. and class and religion, and of course, race. Right. But what's interesting is like, to my mind, class, economics, and religion is so much more tied to race than we're able to discuss. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, they're all connected. But, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think it, it is that thing of like, yeah, I think that there's probably some like classic ethical question, right? About stealing bread to to feed yourself, the right? Jean Valjean, right? All. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like in a society where the people that have resources and means and power say, like, here are the rules, and to follow these rules means that you suffer because of injustice that happens, yeah, right? Totally. Yeah, yeah. What are you, on a concrete level? What uh-huh. are ways that you see this? Okay. I, well. I could just go on a bunch of rants about our present day, but I think I want to chat really quickly about something in my past. Okay. Supposedly, we're using this podcast to deconstruct our evangelical upbringing. So I think what's interesting in the beginning of this episode, they are talking about how Eleanor needs to do good things to prove that she's good, that she belongs there and there. And then like Michael or quote unquote real Eleanor is like, we've never had to prove someone belonged here before, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm hmm. And it totally made me think about when I, autistic me, went to Life Bible College, now Life Pacific College in San Dimas, California, home of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which was a four-square 
Bible college. The which, city was the home of Bill. And, yes. Okay, just not the <laughs> not Pentecostal the Bible college. college. Just clarify. So Foursquare is a, like a denomination that is Pentecostal. Everybody speaks in tongues. It was actually founded by a woman named Amy Semple McPherson. If you want a rollicking good story, you got to look up Amy Semple McPherson because mm-hmm. she's intense. Um, I went there because my older sister's ex-boyfriend had been there and my parents didn't want me to go to college, really never talked to me about college. I did YWAM, didn't take for a variety of Anyway, so I'm at this Pentecostal Bible college and I'm doing all the rules that they have laid out for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. I am going to chapel every day with a willing and open heart. I'm singing every worship song. I'm trying to mean every word. I am I'm the top student in every single class that I'm in. I am reading my Bible when I'm not in class mm-hmm. and I'm pouring over specifically the book of Acts because mm. that's where all this business is about the second coming mm-hmm. of the gifts of the Holy Spirit which is you speak in tongues. So everybody at the school spoke in tongues. I did not speak in tongues. I grew up with a mom who got really into speaking in tongues. She took me to a bunch of Pentecostal things. I never could speak in tongues, right? People would pray over me all the time because I ended up being the person who was like pointing out a fatal flaw in their exclusivist worldview Mm -hmm. because I was like, y'all keep saying this is a supernatural gift. So no, I'm not going to practice in the shower like you're telling me to. No, I'm not going to just start speaking some babbling nonsense that'll eventually turn into a supernatural. This was advice you were given, yes, right? From was my like, RA, from all my friends. Uh-huh. And they people, were saying like, if if you can't speak in tongues, just sort of practice, just practice. it. And they would like pull me aside, um, and be like, the, so people would have prayer services over me, um. I was obviously anguished. Like when chapel speakers came, they're like, anybody who wants an extra touch of the Holy Spirit, come up front, you know, and we all mm-hmm. stand in a row and they'd all, people like would be slain in the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Where people would like fall down and the speaker would just like barely touch their forehead and they fall down and I would be left standing mm-hmm. alone, straight as an arrow. What um, about what the professor told you? Yeah. And so eventually, right, more and more people started to know that I couldn't speak in tongues because I was very upset about it because I'm mm-hmm. doing everything I could. So I started talking to my professors about it and I started, you know, like all this. So one of my professors, I think he was just sick of me bringing it up in class or talking to him about something. I was working at the cafeteria. He came in and found me. I was like talking to some of my friends who were all sitting at a table and he said, Danielle, I had a vision about you, you know, Mm-hmm. And why you can't speak in tongues. And the vision is you're holding an umbrella. The rain is falling everywhere except onto you. And the rain is the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And you're quenching the Holy Spirit because of some sin in your life, right? Mm-hmm. You're quenching the Holy Spirit. Which is traumatic and ter- terrible and also sort of makes me laugh to think about you having sin in your life. I mean, Crispin. <laughs> right. I didn't look at a at a boy uh-huh. i had i had started like an every other week ministry to homeless people in santa monica where mm-hmm. i got all my friends to make a bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches mm-hmm. every other friday night we just wander around give out sandwiches and just listen to houseless people talk mm-hmm. for hours and we sit on benches and just talk to them and pray for them all this stuff like 
I was doing everything possible. And I did not speak in tongues. So I ruined everything mm-hmm. for a lot of people in that way. And so mm-hmm. they just tried to silence me a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, shocker, I ended up getting really depressed. Um, just being told I was a second class citizen, basically, in this little exclusivist club. And mm-hmm. later, like a few years ago, you and I went to this wedding. And somebody at the wedding I had met at this college and he was like i never told you this but like you changed my life like one day and i was like what do you mean he's like well we we were all at life me and my friend like saw you like in the courtyard you were like doing homework and we're like hey how's it going and you were like terrible and we were like what why and you were like because like i'm doing everything i can but i i don't speak in tongues and like i don't understand what am i doing wrong and how can everybody else can do this but not me and he was like and me and my friend talked about it later and we're like wow we never thought about what it would be like if you couldn't speak in tongues and like Mm. that must be pretty hard and like oh and i guess not everybody does actually speak in tongues so like what does that mean and Mm. i was like oh I have no memory of this happening, but uh-huh. that does sound like something I would do, <laughs> yeah. which is be incredibly honest about what I was experiencing and how it wasn't matching up with the stated rules of Pentecostalism. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just thought about that with like, we've never had to prove something belonged here. I was hellbent on proving I was doing everything the rules said to do. And I did it. Mm-hmm. And people did not know what to do with me. So they shamed me. They silenced me. They had prayer sessions for me to feel better about themselves. They pulled me aside. They told me to lie. They told me to fake it. They told, you know, Mm -hmm. to make them feel better. And I was Mm -hmm. like, no, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that's my story. (laughs) But isn't it sad? Yeah. And the people who can't make it in these systems, they are often the ones that are vilified, right? And we see that happening in the good place. Like, Eleanor, you're such a train wreck. You're such a bad person. Mm -hmm. Really, it's the people around her are literal demons. (laughs) Yes. Or people who are obsessed with the system being okay and good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, that's my my story. Yeah, I mean, it it like fits so much, right? Like the the system isn't working for you. It must be your motivations are wrong. That is just such... Must be sin in your heart. Right. That professor can go to hell. (laughs) To say that to me in front of all my friends. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, he did that on purpose, I believe. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that is so fucked up. I'm just bringing all the F-bombs I came back for a second year to that college mm-hmm. then i didn't know i was having anxiety or panic attacks every night na- every time the sun went down i started sobbing i couldn't leave my room mm-hmm. so that was fun yeah and right I, and then i dropped out yeah i mean i just think it is i was trying to i was thinking about this aspect of motivation and your heart must be right or whatever it is right and like just i, I mean i guess this is kind of a different tangent but this idea of having your internal world policed. Oh. Right? That's and literally they what this is. police your internal world when they can't get you in other ways. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the story of my life right. growing up in white evangelicalism and taking it all seriously. Mm-hmm. Because I took it seriously, people didn't know what to do with me sometimes, right. you know? Yeah. So they did that. Mm-hmm. But everybody gets a bit of that. Yeah. Internal policing. Right. In that in that system. Yeah. I want to talk a bit about a bit about this in the religious trauma segment. So I want to transition there. Uh, but before we go to religious trauma, uh-huh. 
I have a voicemail from a listener and friend of the show. Friend of the show. Hello, this is a friend of the show, Zach Malm. I just wanted to call in and say you might be a fan of the podcast if you were a little bit disappointed that Crispin didn't do the Jeff Foxworthy voice upon introducing the you might have religious trauma if segment of the show. If you felt that way and uh, felt the need to uh, call in to, I guess it wouldn't be cyber bully because it's not, it's over the phone. So bully, just good old fashioned bullying uh, Crispin into bringing back the Foxworthy in, in the voice for introducing that, that segment. You might be a fan of the podcast. So, just wanted to say I love that segment. I love the Jeff Foxworthy part, and I love the podcast. Goodbye. Zach, thank you so much. I am going to take on the mantle of cyberbullying, and I will do that for all the <laughs> listeners in Crispin. No caveats. No apologies. You can keep your embarrassed giggling, but just do it right now. Do it. You might have religious trauma if... How'd that feel, baby? Yeah, that good. Feel? Sometimes when I overthink it, I realize that I'm sort of going into this New Zealand accent. Do that. But Do that. No, I can't control it. You might have just no. I'm not. I know that Whoa. we. I know we have international listeners, and I'm too embarrassed. That was terrible and offensive. So don't do that. <laughs> Stay in your lane, right. white man. I guess there were some white New I'm Zealand. I was just trying to. I, I was just trying. <laughs> I'm just trying to channel flight of the Concords. Well, I you, am. Well, you can't. But I'm, that's okay. I'm so bad at accents. So bad it's, at them. Yeah, that's true. But you did it. You did it. Yeah. I. Why am I doing this? You are the one that was drama student of the year in high school. Yeah, that's how I um, survived. Mm-hmm. And now I'm thriving and I don't need to do accents anymore. <laughs> I'm thriving. I'm thriving. I'm 30, 40 and thriving. I feel like it's, it's for me to show up on this podcast and not mumble. It's a lot of effort. That's true. I mean, you're, you're mumble core at heart. Okay, so you have to go first. I basically just spilled out all my religious trauma <laughs> right. already. I don't have to say a damn thing. I, uh, yeah, you might have religious trauma if it, uh, actually, I wrote something, but I want to change it after we okay. have this conversation. Okay. So, um you might have religious trauma if normal self-preservation uh, feelings or just things like anger or like noticing things you like or just any sense of self was a threat to being selfish, you know? So, yeah. or like was was felt to you like you were being selfish. If you wanted something, if you wanted to set a boundary, if you're like, yeah, I don't want to go to hell forever and I'll do what I need to do to make sure that doesn't happen. Right? All those things. You might have religious trauma if you were programmed and trained to silence those very normal human things um, that are, you know, parts of you that are like, hey, I deserve to have a place here. Yes. Okay. And I'm going to yes and that because I think Janet at the end of this episode really sums it up nicely for people who have experienced religious trauma and thought they were a part of a really great community mm-hmm. and then it turns out they weren't um so janet at the end right 
Eleanor's leaving to go to the bad place, but then Janet and Jason are like, well, we're leaving too, and we're going to go to the medium place, which mm-hmm. will be fun to talk about um, mm-hmm. in the next episode. And Janet says, now that I can think and feel, I don't belong here. And I was like, oh, damn. Oh, yeah. You know what I was just thinking about? I was trying to think about like how to make this concrete. And this is maybe such an inane example, but I think so important to me, which is being bored in church. Okay. Like being bored in church week after week for my teenage years and adult life, but being like, you shouldn't be bored. I think that was such a practice of like feeling guilty for a legitimate feeling that I was having. And like just that practice over and over each week of being like, nope, you shouldn't feel that. You shouldn't feel that. You shouldn't feel that. Yeah. Again, like inane, like not maybe not a huge thing, but I think it really has an impact on how you relate to your own experience. And I think it is, again, practice for dismissing your own experience, feeling bad for your own experience, and not listening to your own experience. Yeah. I mean, high control environments, religions, you know, governments, they do not want you to think and they do not want you to feel mm-hmm. beyond this very narrow prescribed set that you were are indoctrinated into over and over again. I think the church thing is great. I wasn't like that, you know. Mm-hmm. I was like operating at all cylinders. Yeah, you were like, okay, how how do I do it better? Yes. How do I tell? I will how say. How do I listen. engage in the text better? How uh-huh. do I pray better? How do I actually? But there are things like communion, for instance, mm-hmm. right? When the guy would give the spiel about mm-hmm. Jesus had to die mm-hmm. so that a few of us could get to heaven. You know. Mm-hmm. Now looking back, I'm like, oh my god. None of it makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And you and I have tried so hard to make penal substitutionary atonement make sense, mm-hmm. like for so long. Mm-hmm. And now it's just such a relief to be like, nope, now that I can think and feel, that's some bullshit. You know what I mean? Right, that doesn't yeah. make any sense. Mm-hmm. It's very exclusivist and is actually teaching people to be okay with genocide. But whatever. Mm-hmm. And abuse of love, you know. Right, abuse exactly. In the name of love. Yeah. yeah. So. Anywho, that's my thoughts on that. Yeah. Should we move on to DL's fun facts? Yes. Okay. I really only have like a few. One is this. I'm going to do rapid fire. Okay. Okay. Have you ever committed a serious crime? No. Have you ever had a personalized license plate? No. Have you ever paid money to hear California soft rock band, the Red Hot Chili Peppers? No. Well, congrats. Pass the test. You're good. I know we've done that before, but I had to do it again. Second fun fact. Did you notice what the safe was called that Jason died in? Before we move there, Jason answered yes to all of those things. And I'm like, I will never have as pure and as passionate a heart as Jason. Okay. Was anyway, I just want to say, like, you know, Jason. You want me to get you a license plate that says I love butts? To tap into no, your Jason-ness? No, because we talked... Oh, that was in our Patreon-only episode. We oh, talked that you, about, you're a boob man. Yes. Yes. I love the boobs. <laughs> Michael Buble, to clarify. You don't like my boobs? <laughs> I did not know we were going here. <laughs> but I can tell you very assertive... <laughs> I can tell you very certainly that I do love your boobs. I'm so happy. I finally got you flustered this episode. Okay. Did you notice the safe that Jason died in? What it was called? No. The Swanson Safe Company. 
Oh. Wow, multiverse moment. Mm-hmm. This is a callback to Ron Swanson of Parks mm. and Rec, which also there's multiple characters in this that are from shows like Parks and Rec. I guess the police officer in this episode mm. who's talking to Pillboy was also in Parks and Rec. Oh, I was like, I recognize him. You mean like he's actually a the same character. No, different names, but both police officers. I see. Okay. Played by the same character uh, actor. Yes. Got it. Okay, another fun fact is I don't know what a whippet is or what happens to somebody when they do whippets. Okay? I am doubting you now. I I think that it has to do with air inhaling aerosol so that you don't get oxygen to your brain and you kind of oh so it's doubly suffocating right okay. exactly great which is yeah that was the joke is like he suffocated in a safe and in the, uh, the the cop was like and the whippies he was doing okay. while in there probably didn't help either okay so another thing is i couldn't really see in the names of the stores in this episode you know in the good place but one thing i think said jetpack store and then another store was called and low exclamation mark pajamas and then we also had warm blankets so i love all those okay mm-hmm. um one thing that the safe part brought up for me this is a fun fact that is very niche and only a few listeners will understand i was thinking a lot about jason dying of suffocation i thought about frank peretti Christian horror master wrote a series of kids books, uh, you know, the Cooper kids, which we've talked about before. Yeah. We've done Patreon only episodes on those. If your ears are, you know, perking up at that. So this reminded me of trapped at the bottom of the sea. Mm. That's the book he wrote about the girl Lila being trapped in like, almost like a safe nuclear Mm, something mm -hmm. that gets dropped out of an airplane into the bottom of the sea and she somehow survives until she's found and i was like based off of this episode of the good place lila would have died you know Mm -hmm. from lack of oxygen and so frank pretty lied to me he lied to me about a lot of things a lot you can listen to our entire season on this present darkness if you want more info on that that's the frank pretty you know thing that i thought about last fun fact is I feel like in this episode, Michael says something that basically takes us to the very last season of this show and to the very last episode of this show. Do you know what he said in this episode? No. Okay. He's really depressed because he, you know, quote unquote, finds out about Jason, you know, uh-huh. not being John Yu. And he says, he gets really depressed. He starts talking like, is everybody hiding something? Uh-huh. Like, blah, blah, blah. Nothing matters anymore. You know, kind of like yeah. nihilism. And then he says, you know, oh, I'm just wishing for the sweet release of eternal extinction. Oh. Which brings us to all the ethical issues of season four of this show, uh-huh. which is all about like, what would it be like to be in a never-ending eternity good place or do is what we really want some version of annihilation you know at the end don't bring this up oh triggers my existential anxiety to no end that's not a fun fact for you (laughs) it's not a fun fact at all fun fact for me we have to leave season four in season four i have not (laughs) dealt with these things yet internally set you didn't it well okay listen well and michael's bringing it up right now in this episode which i think is fascinating here's what i would not suggest okay 
go to Disneyland for uh-huh. two days yeah. and then watch the very last episode of The Good Place well, the following put, morning. You've put me in a conundrum because I'm not supposed to talk about you crying in public places. <laughs> and then but you're I, the one bringing this up. No, just legacy. Yeah, then I cried over a breakfast burrito. And it was intense. And I mean cried. Yeah, it, it brings up a lot. And it's still like I'm I'm working through it. Slowly. Dis- Disneyland really makes us existential, which is sort of um, just being overstimulated. Right, you yes. do that to a person, it turns out. Mm-hmm. So now, if we ever go back to Disneyland again, we're not. I'm not going to allow you to talk about the afterlife. <laughs> okay, you can do it on the way there, but not, not on, the, on way the way back. back. Yeah, yeah. The the post vacation crash is yeah. real. Okay, I told we- you we were going to go off the rails. I know we have a listener question. Oh. Hi, Mayfields. This is Rachel. I was just listening to your most recent episode and the discussion you were having with each other about soulmates and whether or not Crispin believes in them. And uh, DL's comment really made me laugh because I also have said I only believe in soulmates when it comes to me and my husband. And um, I'm thinking this is maybe just a demisexual thing. What are your thoughts? Thanks. Okay, you go first. I have to go first. Yeah. I mean... I was thinking about this. And for me, so much of my sexual fantasies. What? uh, You asked me to go first. As a teenager and young adult, Uh we're very romantic and continue to be. So, like, I feel like I don't know if I'm demisexual, but there's this, like, element of, like, it's not just about like physicality. It's like this element of like feeling close and connected and you know, that sort of thing. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I don't know, but I, I think that that's not totally atypical either. Yeah. You I know? mean, some people are obviously really drawn to the idea of soulmates as a romantic idea mm-hmm. an ideal. And that's not me, but I am like, you know, I'm like, is it drama? Is it CPTSD? Is it, you know, you and I, a part of it is sort of like we both came from really intense family situations mm-hmm. and we've become really safe, stabilizing forces for each other that champion each other and, you know, all this stuff. And so for me, that's totally a part of it. However, I am 100% demisexual. <laughs> <laughs> I have very little, you know, attraction to other human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it happens every once in a while, but not really. And so I'm like, it could be that, but there's just something that this is, this idea of soulmates actually is a lot bigger than Hallmark, you know, Mm -hmm. and all of that. I keep hearing about how Plato talks about it. (laughs) And he had this whole idea that the gods were like jealous of humans. And so they split people in half. Um, I'm not sure if he was obsessed with like the gender binary part of it or if, you know, that could Mm. all be. And so you're left to like wander the earth trying to find your other half that makes you whole. Now, I don't like that language, obviously, Mm -hmm. because all we have is our actual literal bodies. So I don't like the idea that I need another body to be whole. And yet I'm in a partnered relationship that is like very instrumental to my own flourishing you know yeah and this came up in this episode is chi we didn't even talk about this but real eleanor uh tells chidi i love you and then is wanting to know how chidi feels towards her 
And so he's trying to figure out, like, she's my soulmate, but do I actually love her? And the soulmate idea, it's interesting because for some people, it really speaks to their internal experience, which is how I feel with you, which is like, I just feel such passionate love for you. Oh, my God. Um, This is too embarrassing. You cannot (laughs) do this right now. Okay. I want to contrast that with the Christian soulmate idea which is like God planned this for you. So it doesn't really matter how you feel internally, which is exactly what Chidi is wrestling with. He's sort of like, well, I'm supposed to love this person. Yes. Therefore I should feel this way or should make this decision. I mean, when uh, Eleanor is giving Chidi the advice to be like, yeah, she's your soulmate. You should just go for it. I'm like, this sounds like evangelical pastor Marriage counseling, Eleanor. Right, but she's like, yeah. If the universe has, you know, made it so, you got to go all in. I'm like, yeah, that's what Christian said. Right, Christian told us Mm -hmm. that is so much bullshit. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes, exactly. So I'm all I'm all for feeling all the feelings. That's what I'll say about that. There we go. We fixed it. (laughs) This whole conversation around soulmates. (laughs) Okay. what We've made it to this is a good place. So what's something good right now in your life? You know what's funny is is our 13-year-old's tastes in movies. Mm -hmm. Remember what movie they've really been wanting to watch? Mm -hmm. We watched... He's part of it. Yeah. Which is Wolf Walkers. Okay. Wolf Walkers is this amazing movie. I forget what year it came out, but it's time to talk about it again. 2020. Okay. You know more about this than me. Well, I just Googled yesterday when it came out. And I, I just think like it's such an incredible movie. It's part of like a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Right. From By- Cartoon Saloon, which probably doesn't mean anything to you, but it's an Irish animation studio they did the secret of kells and they did song of the sea if those ring a bell for you yes which our child was really into song of the sea so that's the first one we watched then i watched the secret of kells or the book of kells i forget what Mm -hmm. it's called really like that that is very interesting if you're coming from a christian background Mm -hmm. and then wolf walkers is this sort of incredible movie about basically Christian colonization and imperialism. Yes. It is. In Ireland. Mm-hmm. And has these themes of like nature versus colonization through the lens of a daughter of a colonizer. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah. I'm just like, if anybody who's raised Christian should probably... Mm-hmm. Especially if you're white. I mean, my ancestry is Irish. Mm-hmm. And it's so fascinating to think, like, how did we get from that to here? Right. Because there's this sort of, like, I I don't know what kind of spirituality in the forest with the wolves. And then the Christian church English people are yeah. coming in and trying to eradicate the wolves and tear down the forest. And basically turn all the Irish people into workers mm-hmm. to produce profit for England. Whereas they have the, the kind of the opposing force here is healers. Yes. Like, and there's like feminine energy. And who protect the forests and mm-hmm. the woods. Yes. It, it's just like amazing. And just like the art style, like, you know, the imperialists are all like very angular. And then you go to the forest and everything is like 
curvy and i just yeah it's just like amazing it's, it's an so amazing good. everybody go watch wolf walkers and then let's chat about it yes you know what i mean so great yeah i was like i said i was like we need to like now that we are no longer christians we need to go over and rewatch this yeah so it is amazing for me um it is what's been giving me life is being outside um i've been working from um a backyard shed recently. <laughs> and, but what's different about that is like, if I have to leave it to like go get food or tea or use the bathroom, then I step outside and I am in my backyard. Our, our very like shoddy, not well cupped up yard. And that doesn't matter. There's grass and there's moss and there's a tree. There's mushrooms. And there are mushrooms and just like, yeah, stepping outside and like hearing the rain getting wet uh, happens. <laughs> You're giving me a face. Um, and but yeah, I just it's just been I've just noticed like when I step outside, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this feels healing even in the 30 seconds it is to be outside, which is lovely. I know it's kind of annoying to me that that actually works, mm-hmm. but it does. Right. You're good about going on walks. No, I'm much better now. Yeah. But I remember as like a teenager, I hated being forced to do anything outside. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I, you know, I love it and it really is good for the old nervous system. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, we will wrap it up here. We'll be back soon um, on the other side of the holidays. Yes. Well, this is an extra long episode. So I'm like, Merry Christmas. Uh-huh. Here you go. It now would be a great time to become a patron and listen to all of our old episodes where we wild out. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about some interesting stuff. We just released a like a episode where you and I discuss our feelings about Christmas time and a bunch of Christmas specials from 1987, which is proven to be much more popular. People are chatting about that, right. you know. Yeah. So you can join us at our Patreon. Um, I've been writing over at my Substack. Healing is my special interest. I had a big old post about nervous system regulation, which might also be interesting to people. Mm-hmm. You can check that out. Anything else you want to tell people about, Crispin? Well, I'm starting full time private practice in January, uh-huh. uh, which is exciting. I can only see people in Oregon, but um, but I, you know, have focus on working with autistic folks and religious trauma. I'm not necessarily saying that if you're a listener, you should be my client, but I'm just throwing it out yeah, there. Yeah, that's weird. But also, <laughs> it it's is true. You <laughs> you have a specialty with autistic people who have related trauma. Right, yes. And can practice in Oregon. It's right. all virtual, so. Yeah. So, you know, again, like. But also, I mean, people can go to your website, correct? Are you uh-huh. writing some blog posts? I'm going to be as, oh. as soon as I have some time. <laughs> I really was looking at my schedule today I know, and I was so busy and I was like, yeah, but once I make the transition, it'll be like, then I'll have some time. I want to write about like the combination of high control religion and emotionally immature parents, which is something we talk about here all the time. Yes. But um, I'm excited to write about some of those topics. So. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's great. I It's just more of a sharing. It's an exciting time to go into full-time pri- private practice. I set up a fax number yesterday. Oh, my God. Um, so, you know, that's kind of what's going on in my life. It's very just exciting. Thought just thought I'd share that. Make enough money where I don't freak out okay. about having too little money, having too much. You just got to get and that. And then let me be insane on the internet. Is that cool? There's no letting or not letting you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
But I will support you in being insane on the internet. I am very much of the opinion that I am very sane. Mm -hmm. And capitalism is the insane. Exactly. Yet they're going to try and lock me up. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like in Wolfwalkers. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) that wasn't a joke. I yeah. know. Okay, we will wrap it up here. Don't shame yourself for how you need to survive this time. That's e- what I'll say. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better. Okay. So with that, right. we'll both say at the same time. Take it. No. Sleazy. I was say one, two, three. <gasps> one, two, three. Take, Take it, it sleazy. sleazy. <laughs> that was terrible. Here, let's do this instead. We will be back in 2024. Take it sleazy. This has been an episode of This is the Bad Place, a special season of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram by searching Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. You can find us on the web at propheticimaginationstation.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 503-912-4130 or record a voice memo and send it to propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. Join our Patreon